Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. You can't really make a forest out of concrete. I mean, you can't. If you go, if you go out into the forest, out into nature and be present with the nature of nature. There's an exquisite peace that is inherent in all the elements of nature. And peace, by its very nature, will not force itself. Peace is not a forceful kind of thing. It's something that must be chosen. And yet peace has so much to offer us. We've we've had such a stressful 2020 that I'm really delighted about tonight's episode. Tonight, our topic is meditation with intention. And our guest tonight is Anusha Vijay-Kuma, and we're going to bring her on in just a minute. But I, I want to talk about the value of peace, the value of what peace has to offer us. It's not like you can go find a bucket of it somewhere. In our Western culture, a lot of times when we go to acquire something, it's a physical act, so to speak. We're going to go and get something. But when we talk about peace, and more specifically lasting peace, I think there's there's some attributes to our uh, our culture that would benefit immensely um, beyond words for us to choose peace, and it's a it's a personal choice. Peace is not going to invade any country by force. It's going to be chosen individually by each individual. Peace is an inside job. In the core of our being, in the core of our persona, that that source consciousness, that, that entry point of consciousness into our human persona, that consciousness is anchored in peace. It's anchored in the truth. And, that, and that's available to every single one of us. When you embody peace more and more, your body relaxes more and more. Remember I talked about going out into nature? When you observe animals in nature, there's no fret or worry. There's no concern about tomorrow. Your trust the continuity of consciousness itself. Yet our Western minds can get into this frantic state, into this stressful state, into this anxious state. And certainly last year um, maybe amped that up for a lot of people. But tonight's episode, what I really like about tonight's episode is 
Anusha has really brought the pathway to peace into bite-sized pieces, into an, an easily um, ingestible format in our busy lifestyles. With just five minutes of meditation a day, you can achieve a more focused, balanced, and peaceful life. Anusha will share the transformative meditation program that she developed for California's world-famous Hogue Hospital. You'll discover the vital intentions in five-minute meditations designed for heart opening, chakra balancing, like this one, trusting your inner truth, embodying courage and strength and more. These meditations and breathwork exercises will help you create more joy and peace in your life while learning to control negative internal chatter. Join me in welcoming An Anusha to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Les. I'm really excited to be here with you all. I mean, you've got some pretty powerful things going on here. Now, to be clear for the audience, the topic of the show tonight is the name of your book, Meditation with Intention, Quick and Easy Ways to Create Lasting Peace. Now, I, I love the components that you target here, heart opening, chakra balancing, trusting your inner truth, embodying courage and strength. What? How did you decide uh, to target those elements with your book? Well, these are all elements, Les, of meditation and what people often misconstrue yoga in the West as being asana and purely the physical, when in fact yoga is meditation, as Sage Pathanjali outlined in the Yoga Sutras, as is expounded, you know, in the Bhagavad Gita. And yoga is one of the six Ashtika schools of Hindu philosophy. And when we look into what these ancient texts tell us, it's actually often completely the polar opposite of what we see played out in mainstream yoga in the West. And that's really what I wanted to get across in an accessible way and a simplistic format to the reader that, you know, even though the roots of yoga lie in Hinduism, or what I prefer to actually say, which is Sanatana Dharma, which is the eternal way, which predates Hinduism, is that yoga is a way of life. It's a way of living. And meditation, which is yoga, is accessible to everybody. And I wanted to honor the roots of the practice, which are part of my indigenous faith, whilst, you know, illustrating to the reader that meditation is for everybody. And, you know, even if you don't believe in God, it's a connection with the God of your own understanding, be it God, light, source, spirit, the universe, whatever makes you feel comfortable. And the book, you know, honors my faith, my culture, my heritage, whilst 
illustrating the, the secularism of these practices. Well, I like that. You know, the it's pretty easy to see in the collective consciousness that uh, through mainstream media and social media that um, people are, are very frustrated. Uh, there, there's a large segment of uh, society that's very frustrated with the turmoil, the change, the unknowingness of what's next. I mean, 2020 kind of turned us all on our heads. And w- with these simple elements, in in order for us to, I mean, who doesn't want peace on earth? Who doesn't want a, a deeper sense of perhaps happiness or fulfillment? And if we keep our attention on the chaos, the turbulence outside of us, that that literally keeps us disconnected from what perhaps we're seeking. Now, you take this material and and you bring it into the hospital setting. Can you give us some examples of what some of your clients have experienced as far as transformation with this material? Well, what I do specifically in the clinical setting is that I work at Hoke Hospital as the wellness consultant leading on all of our meditation and mindfulness initiatives for our breast cancer survivorship programs, our breast and ovarian prevention programs, and our maternal mental health programs. And there I really work on, you know, bridging East and West and introducing our patients to the benefits of adopting a daily meditation and mindfulness practice. I'm currently one of the first women to create a uh, meditation program that's been clinically tested at Hoke Hospital with our breast cancer patients. And, you know, I'm very humbled to note uh, the efficacy of these practices in helping people through their cancer diagnosis and cancer treatment, but even beyond that. And I've seen the changes in the lives of my patients and clients over the past five years that I've worked at Hoke Hospital with just how simplistic adding meditation and mindfulness can be into our daily life and the benefits that result are endless. Very nice. Well, when when we talk about, um, you've mentioned yoga. The um, we, We've talked about yoga many times on the show, and, and I, for one, realize that there's many different perceptions of what, quote, yoga is unquote is it's kind of like talking about god it, because there's so many um, variations of the understanding or the interpretation of what it means when you look at uh i don't know what to call it classical yoga or or the mainstream yoga that's taught in um in the united states what do you see are um elements that are spot on and what what elements might be missing in the mainstream idea of what yoga is i think there's a lot missing in the mainstream idea of what yoga is and unfortunately that's as a result of harmful cultural appropriation that is rooted in racism and white supremacy and i think unfortunately when we whitewash this ancient Indian faith and philosophy, we really remove the spirituality out of the practice. 
by reducing it merely to a physical practice. And when we say yoga, I say this all the time, when I say yoga, people always constitute that with asana, with the physical. They don't think of yoga being mantra or meditation or prayer or, you know, quite frankly, a way of living. And if we, if we look at the history of colonization, specifically in uh, India and in Sri Lanka, where my heritage is from, in Sri Lanka, it's a tiny island off the southernmost tip of India. We underwent 443 years of brutal oppression and colonization rooted in white supremacy of four different European imperialist regimes. So the fact that my ancestors were able to hold on to our indigenous faith of Sanatana Dharma, our culture, our, our Tamil language, throughout the Portuguese, Dutch, and British invasions, just shows heroic strength and courage. Uh, and even the word Hindu itself and Hinduism was something that the the colonization the colonizers actually gave uh, the Indus Valley civilization. And Sanatana Dharma, you know, which is, a, I think for many Hindus, we reject the term Hindu because of its being rooted in that history of colonization and prefer the term Sanatana Dharma, which is basically what yoga is. Yoga is a way of living. It's a way of being. And the word yoga itself derives from the Sanskrit word yuj, which means to yoke, to unite. And what we're yoking or uniting to is the individual consciousness, the jivatma, merging with the universal consciousness, the paramatma. That is yoga. It's not, I'm rolling out my mat, I'm doing 45 minutes of exercise. And so, you know, to, to put it very simply, because this could be a very elongated response, I think we have to unlearn what we think of yoga in the West and relearn by hearing from you know, BIPOC voices, but specifically South Asian voices in this space uh, to really be able to honor and move away from the colonialist view of what yoga is. And that's not going to happen today or tomorrow. But, you know, the work that I do around decolonization, I can see gaining more interest in mainstream yoga. Now, I've been teaching this for almost six years, and that's a step in the right direction uh, because what we think of yoga in the West is actually a complete misrepresentation. Well, the, the Western mind, I mean, if, if I think about um, being born in the traditional Western household, going through traditional Western academics, and perhaps into uh, college and whatnot. And then, on, on the other hand, so to speak, I think about the notion of the Yoga Sutras, um, where people w would have spent a lifetime from birth um, embodying the um, to a Western mind, it might be considered etherical teaching, and then um, advance to the the point of being a, a a master yogi. The the disparity between those two is considerable, and and I'm the reason I'm making this point is 
for our Western culture to make room in our consciousness to understand what the Yoga Sutras and, and other teachings that are really thousands of years old and what they have to offer humanity as a whole and certainly our Western cultures would benefit from this. Um, it, it takes some understanding to to see the disparity between the two. And I that, that's why I like about having you on the show is that through your heritage and through the the discipline of of those four hundred plus years of of difficulty to rebirth the the treasure, the wisdom, the the value of these teachings, I think is um, a big component of what will bring our collective consciousness into a much more sustainable model, much more compatible with nature, if that makes sense. And I think, you know, if we were to really understand Sage Path Anjali's Yoga Sutras, we would understand that there are, in fact, eight limbs to yoga, not just asana, which is the third limb. And to say that we are practicing yoga isn't to say that we are practicing asana. You know, to really be practicing the path, the philosophy of yoga, we have to be practicing all of the eight limbs. And that's a vital part of decolonizing our yoga practice that needs to happen because for many, many people that are either practicing yoga or teaching yoga, they're not even aware of what the eight limbs are. And again, right. moving away from that neo-colonialist and colonialist perspective of what the eight limb path of yoga really is. And that's because people that are often teaching yoga have no concept of the the philosophy and the fact that it is a sacred faith. And it's the philosophy of yoga that makes the practice so rich and gives it the width and breadth. And ultimately, the path of yoga is a path to liberation for the soul, for a way for us to break the cycle of birth, life and death, to break the maya, the illusion, to, to find a way out of the consistent struggle of samsara that we find ourselves in. Well, to, to liberate the soul, I love that statement. And it, it, uh, for a vast majority of the people in the West, they live in their ego and their soul is not only in the back seat, it's maybe got left at the gas station the last time they stopped. They don't even have a, a sense of what um, freeing the soul or embodying the soul would even look like. For you, um, with the practicing the, the concept of yoga in its fullness, how does that, um, what, what tools, what experiences, what consequences do you experience in your life from your own practice? I mean, you know, to me, the beauty of yoga is in the fact that it is a lived experience. 
And to me, writing, you know, my book, Meditation with Intention, was trying to illustrate your exact question. Like, what have the benefits been in my own life? What have the benefits been to my patients and clients? But specifically in my own life, and it's been transformational. It's a way for me to return to love within, to return to compassion within, to return to non-judgment within, and to utilize all of the tools that I write about in my book as a way of doing that and, and keeping it simple and making it accessible. And that's what I wanted the book to be, a book that you could read easily, a book that you could revisit, and a book that had timeless wisdom in it. And ultimately, that is what the path of yoga is. It's timeless wisdom that is accessible to all of us while still honoring the roots and essence of the practice. Well, I think you've done a wonderful job. I'm holding your book in my hand. It's such a beautiful book. It, um, it's, it's a very easy read, and yet the topics that it covers meditation, mindfulness, journaling, gratitude, nature, heart opening, chakra balancing, self-love, visualization, and more. These are, these are powerful aspects of our human persona. What I, what I really like about your book is you take a five-minute interval. I mean, who doesn't have five minutes? And, and you take that five minutes and you perhaps use it as a lens to focus on these core elements of our, of our human persona. If, if 2020 was um, a challenging year for you as a listener, and you don't really have a, a meditation practice or a, a practice to um, perhaps anchor you. Uh, this book is is spot on for for people just like you. Uh, I think you've done a great job with this. Well, thank you so much. That that really means a lot to me. And. That was exactly what I was wanting, for it to be simple and easy and accessible and to labor the point in each of the intentions that are exactly five minutes long, that really all it takes is five minutes a day and we all have five minutes. Nobody can honestly tell me that they don't have five minutes to do something that can and will change your life. And what I say to my patients, it's very simple. Begin a meditation practice for five minutes today, do it for seven days, and see how you feel at the end of seven days. And you will feel different. I mean, I'm not saying there'll be a, you know, a, a complete transformation in your life in seven days. Maybe there will. But you will certainly start to feel more peace from within. And when we are able to feel more peace from within, we are able to better deal with the stresses, the anxieties, the constant to-do lists, the familial responsibilities, the personal responsibilities, the work responsibilities. And meditation very simply helps us get through our day and enriches our life in a way that once you actually commit to a daily meditation practice, you see and feel the benefits and you're fully aware that this is something that you will continue to do until you take your last breath. I mean, for me personally, meditation makes my life easier. Very nice. Well, if when we look at 
like 2020 has come and gone and people are um, kind of struggling for a sense of normalcy and whatnot, we didn't get lost in the weeds in, in one swooping moment. I mean, it's when we chose to quit exercising or we chose to uh, not eat right. I mean, it, it we accumulated uh, the disconnection, if you will. It wasn't an instantaneous thing. And like you said, it's for the most part, it doesn't come back with a snap of the fingers. And I agree with you. Once you once you feel the effect of taking the time, setting the intention of reconnecting with yourself, which your book is a wonderful um, template for that to happen. Once you've tasted the fruit. Uh, and got some traction with that, um, it, it's so much easier to choose it again and again. But if you don't take those first steps, it, it's hard to recognize the value of it sometimes, I think. Exactly. And that's just honestly the point, Les. If you don't do it, you'll never know the benefits. And the benefits can be felt, and this is something that I do see if you've never meditated before and you're to do a five-minute practice, and I specifically teach very simplistic pranayama, which is breath work, conscious breath work practices, people feel it immediately within that short space of time. And so ultimately, you have to feel it because if you don't feel it, you won't do it. And that's why it's a deeply personal practice which leads to deep transformation within and externally. And once you tasted that, once you feel uh, a shift in yourself moving uh, in that direction, I I think uh, (laughs) for myself, I can't imagine going through life without um, perpetually improving myself in that arena because the the rewards are are so um, immediate and they can last a lifetime. Exactly, exactly. And it really is a practice that you feel the benefits of immediately. And, you know, the past year in particular, with the pandemic that we've been in for now, coming up to a year, with the continued racial injustices uh, and oppression that we see play out even more so over the past year in particular, we need to be focused on finding peace within because very often, you know, we're not able to find it externally and that's what people also don't realize. Peace is not going to be found outside of ourselves. It can only be found within. And meditation is a practice that helps us to realize that, but to also find that balance and harmony within and and create a place of equanimity that we can come to with whatever is playing out in the world around us, in our own lives, in wider society, etc. And I, I like how you coupled intention with meditation because intention, I mean, that, that's your lightsaber, that's your wand of creation. When you set your intention, you're focusing your consciousness for what you intend. And I, 
again, I, I'm, I'm very impressed by this book because not only is it quite um, um, easy to implement with only five-minute intervals, but yet you take those five minutes over time and you walk people through these core elements of who we are. And, and over time, you got to recognize that when you shift your attention, I, I think it'd be wonderful to look at the effect of the book if you're not familiar with using intention for changing your life experience. This book would be a great um, entry point for doing just that. Exactly. And to me, this book was an entry point for people that are wanting to begin a meditation practice to find out more about yoga and meditation and mindfulness. But it was also for teachers and and practitioners that were looking to hear from an authentic South Asian voice. But also, you know, what I have seen in, in my years of teaching and speaking, Les, is that most people don't have a daily meditation practice. And that's the key, not to meditate, you know, once a month, once a week, once a year, but to meditate daily because it's only when we do something every day that we can make it a routine and a part of our life, much like eating, brushing our teeth, showering, and then we can truly feel the benefits. Indeed. Um, Very nice. Well, the uh, how can the listeners get a copy of your book? Well, they can go to my website, www.shanti, S-H-A-N-T-I, within W-I-T-H-I-N.com. They can directly order a copy there, which is linked to Amazon. They can buy it, Meditation with Intention, uh, at their favorite independent bookstore, uh, via Barnes & Noble online, really wherever you want. Uh, and the link, as I mentioned, just for the sake of ease, is on my website where your audience can also find details of my meditation and coaching program, which is being clinically tested at Hoke Hospital. Um, let's talk about that. Um the coaching program now you're you're developing that at the Hogue Hospital. Are you looking to branch that out as uh, as an option for all hospitals? Well, it's not the coaching. So this is purely my meditation. The coaching is just an added element, oh. which is more like a, a Dharma talk that I build community with my um, subscribers each month. The meditation program that is being clinically tested is just the actual meditation at Hoke Hospital. And I would love to, uh, you know, branch this out to more uh, hospitals, clinics, and, and medical institutions. It's all just funding. We were very fortunate to receive funding via our generous donors from the Hoke a hospital foundation for this piece of research. So it really is just dependent upon funding, at the moment, it's a feasibility study. We will be looking for further funding to roll this out to a wider demographic at Hogue. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm very fortunate to do the work that I do at Hogue through philanthropy. Right. Well, and, and I know that stress 
stress in and of itself is a very taxing um, component to our bodies and not only in the perhaps hospital environment but you know I, I think of uh, vets and the the VA and and people struggling with addiction and um, you know AA programs to deal with uh, alcoholism this kind of a simple practice would have a pretty broad uh, range of effectiveness. But, uh, I don't think you'd run out of, of, of uh, new platforms where you could introduce it. So the studies that you're doing at the Hogue would be an excellent um, vehicle for introducing it across a broader range of society. Exactly, exactly. And and I think that, you know, the the program itself is very simplistic. It's accessible to patients as we're finding. We're half we're almost halfway through the feasibility study now in terms of patient inductions. And what we're seeing is that a hundred percent of the patients that have been inducted have seen the efficacy of meditation and mindfulness, which is quite astounding. And I think that is honestly led through the simplicity of the practice. Uh, the program is only 10 minutes long a day for the patients, broken up into two different meditations, both around five minutes long. One is a breathwork practice in the morning. One is a, you know, chakra balancing evening guided kind of relaxation visualization. And so it's easy. And, you know, it's interesting because I'm a firm proponent of breathwork. And I would say the majority of patients, once we do our adherence surveys and, and feedback, like the morning meditation. Because when we connect with our breath, we're really making that connection to our life force within. And as Thich Nhat Hanh, one of my favorite uh, authors on mindfulness, he's a Vietnamese Buddhist monk, says, when we take an inhale and we take an exhale, we are enabled to bring the body and mind together as one. Very nice. Well, even our listeners, if you're if you're going through a medical um, uh, condition now, this you could with this book you could bring that practice into your your healing and your recovery process. So, I mean, you don't have to wait for it to be brought to a hospital. You can bring it to yourself. Exactly. Exactly, Les. And that's why I wrote the book. And I actually have the meditations available for anybody to sign up to via my website, shantiwithin.com. I also have a free five-minute meditation that's available via my website as well. I'm all about trying to make these practices accessible to everybody. And it's interesting because one of uh, my patients as part of this research study uh, sent me an email today. She'd also purchased the book and delights in the book and, and basically mentioned that at her age of 71 years old, she's so grateful to Hogue for initiating this practice into her life through this research study. And then, of course, the added resource of the book, uh, which has so much of what we're talking about in this interview today, you know, documented on the pages in a very simplistic and accessible way. Well, very nice. So this this book just came out uh, just this year, didn't it? Yes, it's not even been eight weeks that it has been released yet. 
So it came out on the 8th of, of January. So we're coming up to eight weeks. And, you know, it's an honor to, to be speaking to you and to be able to share this timeless wisdom with the world and, and get out to a broader reach. Well, how did it feel writing a book? Is this your first book? This is my first book, Les, and I have to say it was exhausting because I <laughs> ended up getting my book deal when my son was six months old. So I basically had to write my book whilst running my business, whilst looking after my son. So it wasn't just something, you know, so many people are very fortunate that they get, they get a book deal and they go and hide in a cabin somewhere and are in the creative process and, and get to really work on the book. I was writing a book whilst being a wife, being a mother, being a business owner. And, yeah, it was, it was chaotic. And it was definitely a, a, a labor of love, but one that I feel immensely grateful to have been afforded the opportunity to do. And it's, the book is very close to my heart. I definitely feel the presence of my ancestors with me as I wrote every word. And it's really important that we have more representation of BIWOC voices and South Asian women writing in yoga and, me and meditation and mindfulness and wellness in general. And, you know, mainstream publishing has to work on decolonizing themselves and deciding who gets the book deal and who gets to write a story. Because just as an example, the top five best-selling authors on Hinduism on Amazon are all non-South Asian. That's the problem. And, you know, as a result, we see that continual colonization of these practices of our faith because simply we're not afforded the opportunity to write our stories and to begin rewriting that narrative. Right. Well, you're breaking that mold with this book. And, uh, again, you've done a wonderful job. It's such a delightful book. Way to go. What a wonderful first book to write. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And, yes, I mean, to me it's not just about me. It's about opening the doors so that other BIWOC and South Asian women specifically will be afforded the opportunity to write their stories and to contribute to this growing conversation around decolonization and the importance of, you know, honoring the roots of the practice so that we can actually understand and live the practice, moving away from the whitewashing, the elitism, the ableism, the heteronormative views of what we see in yoga studio environments, and really embracing diversity in all of its forms and shapes and sizes and creating an inclusive and accessible environment in yoga, which is long overdue. Right. Well, you're certainly taking the first steps to help that happen. I know there's there's been others on the, on the show that want to... Um, reignite, if you will, the uh, more the original teachings of yoga and and bring more substance to the, the Western notion of of what yoga even means. So, uh, the what I find curious is like if we look at Australia and the Aborigines um, when colonization happens, or here in the United States with the Native Americans. Um, 
the the um, the lifestyles are so different. They 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 label them barbaric or primitive or un, um, uncultured, and yet if you think about the essence of these these original cultures, they are in harmony with nature. They are in harmony with themselves. They are in harmony with their souls. They are connected to an open heart. And yet, with our Western culture, people are very, very frustrated with with not having those components in our Western culture. We're kind of running out of gas with with trying to sustain something that's not compatible with nature itself. I mean, that's such an important point that you make about Indigenous cultures, specifically the Aborigines that have been so persecuted in Australia, and even more so the Native Americans and their Indigenous way of living in America. And, you know, that isn't the history that we're taught anywhere. We're not taught about the brutal colonization and oppression that happened to the Indigenous people in this country. We're taught this whitewater version because ultimately that's the problem, Les. We have to teach the truth, and that's the way forward, not the truth that makes it palatable to white folks, because that creates further damage and harm, and again, that continual you know, racism rooted in white supremacy. When we teach the truth, be it around what happened with the history of America and the indigenous people, the Native American population, be it with the enslavement of, of Africans in America, the history, the brutal history of slavery, chattel slavery. We have to teach the truth because from that point, we can have accountability and repair. And because we haven't taught the truth, we see the continual oppression because of racism, because of institutionalized and systemic, uh, you know, white supremacy rooted in racism which keeps black and indigenous people in this country oppressed to this day. And so we know for a fact that not talking about these issues, skirting around them or whitewashing them, doesn't solve the problem. And we have to be in a time of repair and accountability in order to move forward. And it's the same with the history of colonization. Never was I taught the brutal history of colonization of Sri Lanka or India. All of the history books have been whitewashed. And, and, and think about media. Think about the white savior complex. Think about, you know, it, doesn't, the, it, it only serves one purpose, and it's to keep white supremacy alive. It doesn't work. We're now living in a world that is more diverse because of colonization. I mean, you know, we think about the reason that I myself was born in London, uh, it's the history of colonization, British colonization, specifically in Sri Lanka and India and other parts of the world as well. So we have to be taught what the truth is, not the whitewashed, watered down, diluted version. And from that place, we can allow ourselves to utilize the teachings of yoga and meditation to actually focus on creating a society where we can all be one not have these as empty slogans that are thrown around in the yoga space often. We're all one. Well, the fact of the matter is, is we're not all one. Yes, ultimately we are all one, but that's not the stratification and the way that society has been constructed 
in the West and as a result of colonization and, and, you know, in other parts of the world as well. And that's problematic. And so therefore, how do we move forward through rewriting the narrative and, and, and teaching the truth of what happened so we can educate people so they're not suddenly, you know, with what happened over the past year, white folks in America saying, well, wait a minute, wow, racism. You know, I didn't realize that was a problem. Yes, because it's not a problem for you. That doesn't mean that just because you haven't specifically experienced racism as a white man or white woman or someone who's white adjacent or white passing, that it isn't a problem. And uh, to to reintroduce the wisdom of these cultures, to reintroduce what was stepped on, so to speak, um, in the past, is what's going to move us collectively towards a more harmonious, a more compatible, a more compassionate future. And what I like is... Um, yeah. Your, your book's a very, uh, a very wonderful introduction to that. But we're pretty much out of time. Do you have any closing thoughts you'd like to share with our audience? No, I just love what you said. Like, you're absolutely right. Let us return to listening to BIPOC voices and let us return to hearing from Indigenous people about their cultures and their customs versus again, platforming voices that are not of that particular group or community. And to me, like you said, that's how we can return to learning from each other and learning from these authentic voices, be it Indigenous, Native American, be it Black, be it Latinx or South Asian or Asian, etc. Let's hear from those communities. Let's create space to platform and amplify those voices so we can learn. And we can grow collectively together. Well, very nice. Well, Anusha, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. It's been a delightful conversation. I want to thank you, Les, so much uh, for creating the space for us to have this honest and open dialogue. I'm incredibly grateful to you. And thank you so much for having me. It's been a true blessing to be with you and your audience. Very nice. We've been talking with Anusha Wijayakuma, and the topic tonight has been the, the title of her latest book, Meditation with Intention, Quick and Easy Ways to Create Lasting Peace. You know, the, the, I started off talking about using concrete to make a forest. And I use that metaphor for a reason, because in nature, everything is alive. Everything is a living, breathing cohesion of consciousness, so to speak. And yet, our Western minds can um, not put a, a, a value on that that really respects it. Our Western mind our Western culture can be all about the, the creation of non-natural um, byproducts, if you will. That's why I use the notion of concrete. We, we're, not gonna, 
we're not going to develop technology that will reconnect us with our hearts. Our hearts are inside of us. Now, there can be meditations and, and practices that technology embraces, but ultimately it's the living, breathing heart within us, within our living, breathing body, that will make us compatible with a living, breathing nature in our environment. So what I like about episodes like this is it's an inside job. It really is an inside job. Everything that we want to experience in the future is going to be birthed from within us. It's through our intention. We 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 choose what we're going to focus our attention on with with our intention and Intention and attention is a one-two punch. Meditation is a way to focus your attention. Intention is to take that focus and 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 point it in a direction that of of what you want to create in your life. So, you know, it's uh, I think there's been such a a wonderful gift in the in the 2020 year in so many ways um, what was quote normal unquote was turned on its head what was what uh, kind of a melancholy acceptance that we all had of what life was all about in 2019 in the years before 2020 we had a business as usual approach to our lives. We had this this inherent pattern that we considered normal for us. And in that in that inherent pattern, there was no space for um, a deeper connection with nature. There was no space for a deeper connection with our hearts. There was no space for our soul to become more embodied in our persona. Certainly people were choosing that in 2019, but the collective culture as a whole didn't have much interest in that. And what I think 2020 did so so beautifully is <laughs> it sh- shake the bed sheet, shake the, the blanket and, and throw everything in upheaval and now people really can appreciate the value of not being stressed, appreciate the value of honoring who they are. I mean, it, it, the, the, what should, uh, like the torment, the anxiety, the frustration of change after change after change all throughout the year really didn't give us much of a chance to regroup ourselves culturally. And I think that's a real good thing, even though the year is often tagged as the worst year of my life and 2020 could just go away and that'd be just fine. But there's some real solid nuggets. There's some real solid value in what 2020 did not only to us individually, but to us 
collectively, and that was to bring what was hidden, bring what was subconscious, bring what was off the radar, kind of up in up into our face, up into our um, into our awareness. And I think a lot more people can value having peace of mind, to value having a sense of comfort at the end of a stressful day, to value a, a deeper connection with their own heart space, a deeper connection with their own um, consciousness, with their own soul, really. I think it's the the birthplace of of heaven on earth returning. Unless the collective consciousness goes with us, it won't be a substantial part of the future. <laughs> we have to bring our egos along too. <laughs> well, I want to thank you, the listener. You showed up for yourself, and I appreciate that. It's my passion to bring you episodes that help you improve your life, to help you reconnect with your purpose, reconnect with your compassion for yourself, reconnect with your self-love, to to hone and understand with clarity what your life purpose is. When When you recognize your life purpose and then you show up for it, there's a whole different level of satisfaction that happens. There's a whole different level of fulfillment, the feeling of fulfillment when you show up for yourself and why you're here. Well, you showed up tonight. You've listened to this episode, and I thank you for that. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Always a pleasure. Thanks for spending this time with me. Until next time. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect, and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.